Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you are listening to episode 121. Ain't that fun? Hey, Grant, what kind of an episode title is this? I'm actually like... I. <laughs> I've been anticipating this. I think we even mentioned it in the intro uh, from last episode, how excited I was. But now I'm feeling like sort of underwhelmed as we stand on the precipice of uh, of a palindromic. Oh, man. Uh, The expectations don't meet reality. Maybe your love for palindromes is waning a bit. Maybe it's um it's one of those things where it's like I, I put it on a pedestal certainly but maybe it's something where in between palindromes I I uh, I couldn't have the palindrome and I, and I wanted what I couldn't have and now that we've got it I don't know man the grass the is always greener sweet. on the other side yeah. actually I heard the grass is always greenest where you water it mm. wow respect That's food for thought beautiful. Okay, well, I guess it's episode 121. I, I was a lot more enthused about our guest than the palindrome. Absolutely. Uh, numbering. And, and our guest, uh, all the way from Atlanta, uh, and he is the host of the Revision Path, uh, another podcast. So great to have another podcaster on the show. And that was Maurice Cherry, uh, designer, consultant, and uh, as mentioned, podcaster. Absolutely. Not only is he the creator of the Revision Path, but he also runs this sort of creative studio outlet uh, called Lunch. And nom he, nom nom nom. <laughs> and they do delicious work. Had to get the pun in there. Um, but he had a lot of interesting things to say about audience, about crafting a narrative, about your work having purpose. And this all centered around uh, sort of this theme line that was message. Totally. Yeah, he, he was a great, great guest. And as context, I mean, the Revision Path is uh, is a podcast that has black guests specifically. And I felt like that was like a really interesting way for us to get into that conversation about message and then really expand it uh, much more broadly from there. Absolutely. But, uh, e- excellent conversation with Maurice. And uh, when I think of excellent things, I can't help but think of Squarespace, uh, this episode's sponsor. Uh, we built our website on Squarespace. I've built, man, so many websites. And actually, Would you maybe say a hundred show- websites? No, I said so many, so many. Um, I like hyperbole, but not that many. <laughs> um, uh, and actually, I think we could show notes the uh, People for the Arts uh, campaign, which is uh, a campaign... That was just launched by Patreon, and um, as a client of mine, I, I worked on a project with them, did some I- identity design and, and a little site, and we built it on Squarespace, um, and it turned out really great. They're super happy with it. Uh, so we'll show notes that, but um, thank you, Squarespace, for creating a super dope product that I use frequently and uh, I love. And if you're interested in using Squarespace, uh, use the offer code 10,000hours. That's... 10,000 the number, hours the word, smash them together, and you're going to get 10% off. <laughs> I'm, what a, what a pleasant surprise. I thought we were going to do the 1-1, one, one, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, yeah, use that code. <laughs> I mean, things are changing on today's cast, and we owe it all, and we owe it all to Squarespace for their patronage, and to Maurice Cherry. Thank you so much for joining on the show and, and giving us a really insightful conversation. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy episode 121, Message. Hey, 
we're going to look back at episode 121 as a turning point <laughs> where I, I gave up the palindrome joke and I got over the 10,000 hours number joke. I, and I maybe, mean, and maybe a, Vince, maybe I'm growing up. Uh, so Vince, 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 Vince. Oh, practical effects! I love when we do this. Yeah, you know it's like saves Pat so much work. Really, yeah, is what we're looking out for. Pat, Pat, the editor, who is tireless and so supportive of the show. It, sometimes it's just like, you know what? I'm gonna do this one myself, Pat. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna really plan out this, this idea, this concept. I want to execute. I want to do this sort of echoing thing. I want to, I want to, I'm gonna practically get a little bit further away. I'm going to reduce the volume and uh, and then it ends up as audio magic in the listener's ears, which I just see you like arm over Pat's shoulder, like drawing out how you're a diagram of how you're going to get further and further away from the mic <laughs> to give the effect that your voice is echoing. <laughs> and we did it. Vince, could yep. you tell me, let's belabor this no more. And in fact, let's acknowledge our lack of belaboring. That is the best way not to belabor it. I completely agree. And I'm so glad we're on the same page. And I'm so thankful you're my co-host. What a treat. Thank you. Likewise. Vince, could you tell me, what are you putting your time into? What are you working on? Yeah. Um, so I'm. Yeah, it's been a crazy couple of months at the office. We've been pitching everything. We finally won a pitch. Can't wait till I can talk about what pitch it was that we won. Uh, but I will be on the account. I was part of the team that their idea got all the way through, which is always exciting. Uh, then again, it could turn out to be the case that we just start all over from scratch, which is kind of part of the, the ugliest part of the pitch process. Uh, the ugliest part is probably the agency stabbing each other in the back and shit talking <laughs> each other behind the scenes, but it's this close second. Uh, but so the office is really busy uh, working on some personal freelance work. And of course, I've mentioned this before, a couple of nuptial speeches. I'll be marrying a few friends of mine uh, this end of the summer. So no, it's uh, not me for those wondering. Grant is still, well, he's, well, he, he's not getting married. We'll put it that way. Certainly not. Certainly not. Grant, what about you? What are you putting your time into recently? Man, oh man. You know what? I think by the time this drops, I'll have put out, you know, I've been, I've been practicing DJing. I've been, I've been producing music. I think by this point I will have put out my first mix. So I'm starting to do that monthly. Um, that is exciting. Well, yeah. Is- with, with a bit of help from, and so a mix is essentially, it's like a DJ set. Uh, but uh, I do it with, uh, you know, my own particular style and, uh, yeah, it's just something I've been doing that I really enjoy. And I think, uh, you know, I, I listen to mixes all the time and I think a lot of my creative friends, especially who are trying to work on stuff and who want to experience something might uh, really appreciate that. So maybe we'll show notes that, but, uh, yeah, it should be mix number one out at this point, hopefully, but I'm working on the art. So I, I finished the mix, which is cool. Um, and I'm really proud of that, but, uh, yeah, so it's a recurring thing that we'll get rocking here. <gasps> Most excellent, Grant, and good luck. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. I have heard you perform actually. Oh yeah, live, you did. And it was a it was a true treat. Uh, what fun stuff, man! And here's what I will say: I was listening to a Bad and Bougie remix today, which was pretty fun. And you can't think of Migos without thinking of Atlanta, uh, sort of. At least I think of Atlanta. And what a treat to have this! Is this our first Atlanta-based guest, Vince? 
I mean, man, that Bear, seems wrong. It that does seems seem like wrong. it can't be, but it B- might Bear be. Barrett Brooks was originally from Atlanta, but I believe when he was podcasting with us, he was coming to us from Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it was more know. of a Portland episode than it was an Atlanta episode, for a- sure. At any rate, uh, it really is a treat to have uh, to have our guest on today. He is the host of uh, a pretty cool podcast, which is in a similar, I feel like, lifespan to us. It started in 2013. And yeah, a little more prolific. They're already on 179 episodes. Man, son of a bitch. Okay. Uh, they got us. Okay, but uh, yeah, and that show is called Revision Path, and uh, he's also the principal of uh, Consultancy, which our studio will let him chat a little bit more about that. But that is Mr. Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the show, Maurice. What a wonderful, masterful segue and introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Here's the thing. We usually are the ones who like to congratulate ourselves. So it's a real honor to have a guest do it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll be sure to dive into exactly both what goes on at lunch and what, you know, it's Uh, it's inception. (laughs) No, sorry. I thought you were going to make that Um, But also dive into your cast. But maybe we should kick things off with our customary question. Maurice, if you'd be so kind to answer, what are you working on? What are you putting your time into recently? Wow. Right now, I think it's mostly revision path. I'd say it's probably 80% revision path, 20% studio work with lunch. Um, Revision path, since it's grown, has started to take more and more of my time, which is a good thing. I really enjoy doing it. But I mean, you know, scheduling interviews and Mm -hmm. uh, getting invited for speaking opportunities and working on getting sponsors and things of that nature. It started to grow more and more as the years have gone on. This month, uh, February, is actually our fourth anniversary. So there's been a lot of stuff that's went on this month with it also being Black History Month as well. So that's what I'm mainly working on. The other 20% is just, you know, client projects that are coming in, writing proposals, Meeting with clients, doing wireframes, mood boards, all that kind of stuff. Well, maybe you could take this opportunity to dive a little deeper on the the impetus for Revision Path, what it's all about, the people you have on, and then also kind of what lunch is all about and what it means to be the principal of this multidisciplinary studio in Atlanta. Yeah, sure. Well, we'll start with lunch uh, since that sort of came first. Uh, when I initially started it in 2008, the name was actually totally different. I called it uh, 318 Media. It was the number three, the word 18 media. And I thought it was cool, 318, March 18, that's my birthday. So I figured <laughs> it, it kind of made sense in that way. I was kind of playing around with that that whole numerology aspect of it. And started out doing web design, doing uh, branding projects, things like that, which I still do. Eventually expanded into doing email marketing, into doing consulting, into doing speaking, into doing podcasting. So it's been a lot of different things that uh, that have gone on that we've done through the studio. Uh, just turned eight in November last year. So it's been going pretty good. Um, most of our clients are in and around Atlanta, I would say. We have pretty good word of mouth there, but we also have some national clients that we've worked with and international. So we've worked with with SitePoint out in Australia. We've worked with Site5. We've worked with Vox Media, done some work with Nike. Um, and then also we've done work with just kind of local brands in and around Atlanta as well. Love it. International. I mean, 
and uh, I mean a very similar uh, similar time frame too for for the podcast. Um, but okay, so can you talk a little bit about starting the podcast then from out oh, of Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I completely <laughs> no, no, it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. Skipped over that part. No, you're good, you're okay. good. So, so you started, you started lunch in 2008, and then yeah, started started lunch in yeah, started lunch in 2008. Uh, actually started it because I quit my job uh, because they were stiffing me on pay. Whoa! And then once I once oh. I got my back pay, I quit the same day and used that money to start my business and never looked back. <laughs> Good on you, friend. That is like that's unimaginable. That's like movie villain type shit. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So uh, Revision Path uh, started in 2013, but I initially had the idea back in 2006. Whoa. Um, in, in 2004, well, I, to go back even further, in 2004, I started a project called the Black Weblog Awards, which was at the time sort of an answer to the Weblog Awards, which were kind of also going. Actually, there were two Weblog Awards at the time. One was called the Weblog Awards, and the other one was called the Webbies. Totally mm. not confusing at all, of course. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, sta- I started it because I, I just did not see, you know, black bloggers being represented. And I knew black bloggers that were doing stuff. I was a black blogger that was doing things. And I just didn't feel like we were getting any kind of, you know, recognition for the work. I mean, there were people blogging. This was also when podcasting really kind of started around 2004, 2005. And, you know, you just didn't see people actually getting any sort of praise or recognition for their work. So that's why I started it back then. In 2006, we had a best design category because I was a working designer at the time. I was working for the state of Georgia and I had friends who were graphic designers, who were web designers, print designers, etc. And they were also, you know, we would all kind of commiserate about not feeling like we were getting recognized for work when it seemed like our peers were getting lauded for doing the minimal, you know, most minimal amount of work. And I wanted to do something around black designers then, but I just didn't have the time or the really the space to do it. I was working full time. I was also in graduate school and I was doing the Black Weblog Awards. I just didn't have the time to actually, you know, kind of put something together. It wasn't until 2013 when by this time I had sold the Black Weblog Awards I was kind of in a good space with my business, and I said, you know what, uh, this might be the time that I, I kind of try to do it. And so initially it started out, I mean, it, it still is very much an interview-based project. Uh, that's what it was, was me doing interviews with other black designers. But at first it was written interviews, like, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 word long form interviews. And that was good for a while, except, you know, it's hard to kind of track people down and get them to answer questions for that long, kind of doing this email back and forth. And it didn't really feel organic because you would send the questions, they'd send the answers, and that was it. It didn't feel like a conversation. It just felt like homework. Sure. And I wanted the conversations to be organic. I wanted it to be in their own voice. And I just thought, well, why not just, you know, kind of make it a podcast? Some people wanted to do that, and I figured... If I could get them for anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes, we would just have a good conversation and talk about their work and talk about what they do. And it really just sort of took off from there. The podcast itself launched in 2014. Mm. Um, And then from there, it's kind of just been this weekly thing. And now we're in our fourth anniversary. We're, like you said, coming up on 180 episodes. 
And it's been been great. We've been recognized by AIGA, recognized by Apple, recognized by How Magazine, Print Magazine. So it's been pretty good. Recognized by 10,000 Hours and um, yeah. 10, 000, yeah, 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 you know, 10, yeah, Oh, yeah, of Sorry, course. I mean, on, please, this please. is obviously in the past. <laughs> well, now. I mean, you... I love hearing the story. It sounds... What I love most is that it seems like these ideas lie dormant in you, Maurice, for a long time before you bring them to fruition at their most appropriate moment. Uh, and perhaps we will be able to talk about that concept a little bit when we dive into our, our larger topic at hand. You've already sort of tickled, to use kind of a strange <laughs> verb, but I'm going to do it anyway. I like it, yeah. Uh, some of the, the topics, when a message is important what the message contains, who the message comes from, who the message is aimed at. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. It's message and the importance of the nuances that go into crafting one. Yeah. Maurice, would you say that you have a message that is sort of unified across your project? Ooh, yes. I think that the message across all my projects, I mean, all my projects are not have not even really been design related but the main message has been to kind of demystify what mm. could be a confusing thing so for example with my clients at lunch i really work hard to try to demystify the design process for them by letting them know that even though they you know clients will often tell you like oh well i'm not a designer but we all inherently have had some interaction with design from the day we were born i mean the clothes that we wear the cars we drive, the, you know, everything that we have used has passed through some level or lens of design. And so with my clients, my job is to try to kind of demystify that whole um, barrier that they think they have between not being a designer and being someone who can at least think or conceptualize things like a designer. It's sort of one of those things, I think, which can sort of be rooted out through traditional education. I mean, you know, when we are kids, we're drawing, we're painting, we're doing all kinds of fun stuff. And then eventually that gets replaced with other subjects. And so sometimes it's just about getting back to what that, that childlike state is of having the space to conceptualize things, having that space to, to play, having that space to fail, hmm. you know? Mm. And, and so with my clients, my job is to kind of demystify design and demystify their projects so they can feel like they're an active part of what we're doing and it's not just them paying a set of hands to to do something yeah there's something really honest and powerful about that i mean i i relate to that very very hard i think a lot of my work comes back to that and the core of this show is that ten thousand hours i mean it is like sort of the breaking down of people who are on their path or are mastering something and there's something really fascinating and for me freeing about that and and then when you can share something that is so impactful to you with other people i feel like that just like will naturally resonate even if the same obsession isn't there the intention and like your own obsession w will probably show through yeah i mean with revision path for example i'm sort of doing that similar thing with design in terms of demystifying but i'm doing it along what could be conceived as an underrepresented or at least i yeah. think an, an under recognized group uh, which are black designers i mean black designers have been around for decades i mean this is not a, a new phenomenon yeah, yeah. we've been out here doing work for you know dozens of years but in terms of what's reflected back to us through design media through 
conferences, through books, through talks and things of that nature, there's really not a lot of diversity. Um, and not just, you know, I'm saying diversity, I don't just mean racial diversity, but, you know, that's sort of where I'm coming from with Revision Path, but also there's geographic diversity, there's age diversity, there's a number of different factors along the spectrum of diversity, which we don't really see, I think, reflected throughout design. And so from the outside looking in, and certainly I've gotten this uh, from people that I've talked with on the show, they can feel like design is not for them because mm. they don't see themselves in it or they don't see themselves at least being represented in some small sort of way. Or if they do see themselves represented, it's often as a joke or, yeah. or something like that. It's not really something where they feel like, oh, I could look up to this person that is doing right, like a meme or something. They don't really see it as something they could look up to. It's more like a source of, of amusement or derision. Mm. Mm, I... I mean, it's going to be different in some very important ways, but we had Wesley Verhoeve on the show talking about how that sort of uh, a trope that you can see true when criticizing non-major coastal markets where art comes from, yes. uh, this sort of not a, not a fair shake given because of, he was talking specifically about geographic market um, size. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like in terms of message, there's some important uh, corollaries. Mainly, despite how loud you say your message, the recipients of that message aren't taking it seriously or haven't been conditioned to listen properly to it or for it. Right. And often it may just be a matter of making sure that they're exposed to it in some mm -hmm. sort of way. Um, again, provision path, people that I've talked to for the show, they've all in some shape, form or fashion mentioned exposure. Like when I ask them how they learned about design for some people, they came from a very artsy family. So that's how they knew about it. But I'd say probably for the majority of folks, it wasn't something they really conceived or thought of until much later on. I mean, we're talking after college in most, in most cases. Mm -hmm. So it's at a point where they've went through high school. They've went through another kind of, you know, bracket of education and then decided, okay, design is something that I can get into. But compared to their peers in the industry, they may be starting, you know, at an extreme deficit because they didn't go to school for it or they weren't really nurturing it at a much younger age or something. And so it's about, I guess, the level of exposure to design and knowing that it's something that you can do based on where you're at for your particular skill level or something like that. Man, there's so much interesting stuff to to break down here. I am I'm curious like okay, so uh on Revision Path, you you interview black designers, correct? Yes. Yes. Do you feel like the message is is specifically or like the show is specifically for other black designers or black people in general, or do you feel, I mean, maybe that's such a, that that's such a, a narrow question. Maybe that's incorrect. That's a fair question. But, but no, I just, I would, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about that. I don't, I wouldn't say that the show is explicitly for black designers. I yes. think black designers listening to it can appreciate it on a cultural level, you know, just maybe based on some references, they may be able to appreciate it. You know, also purely on a physiological level, mm -hmm. they're seeing other black people talking about design and talking about their craft. That's not something that is a normal occurrence in the design industry. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say it's really for anyone that wants to learn about 
oh, I hate to say it in this way, but it's true. It's really anybody who wants to learn about the diverse talent that exists in this yeah. community. Yeah. I mean, people will look, I know that people will look at the the roster of folks that I've had on the show and just say, oh, well, there's just a whole bunch of black people. But there's so much variety within that mm-hmm. that it's not just this monolithic group of black people. There are, if we're talking profession, there's UX designers, there's creative directors, there's presentation specialists. We've got people that have studied big data. You know, like there's a big swath there just profession-wise. If we're talking geographically, they're all over the U.S. I tried. I try really hard not to just focus on the big metropolitan areas. You know, totally. New York, San Francisco, etc. I like to try to reach people in the in the middle. I, I hate to say flyover states. I mean, I'm from Alabama, so that's yeah. hey, well, you know what? As <laughs> Vince a resident is, of Vince is, state, currently, Vince is currently in Minnesota. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it, man. We get it. We Actually, get it. I, no, I feel I mean, like Minnesota can't even be called a flyover state, really, because it, it doesn't even get we're flown too over. out of the way, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even, I mean, unless you're flying from Canada. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, man. But I mean, I, I try to, you know, go for people that are in different, you know, metropolitan areas or even in in not you know metropolitan areas like what is it like if you're designing in a small town in mississippi what's that like you know as as opposed to you being in new york and being in the cultural center of the country and having all this inspiration and access to you there's actually now that i think about it there was one interview i did it was episode 151 with dewan hall and he is a designer he's in i forget the name of the city but it's like a small city in mississippi and, you know, I kind of asked him, because I'm from a small town in Alabama, like, why would you stay there? Not just in terms of, you know, culturally, but like opportunities and things like that. And for him, he said it was important to be someone in that community that people could look at Man. as like an inspiration or a role that model it, to say, hey, I can be, yeah, like I can be someone that does this because I see someone who looks like me that is doing this in my community. And so that's really important to him to to do that that's powerful but yeah there's there's Mm. geography and not just people in the u.s there's people throughout the caribbean through europe you know throughout africa um we've got gay straight trans lesbian we've got younger students we've got older designers that have been in the industry for 30 40 years so there's a lot of variety within what could look like just totally. a monolithic thing and that's totally by design no yeah that's so cool i mean that is cool i mean we i think we relate to that probably in terms of when we think of uh wanting to expose and and converse with people on all sorts of levels of their journey on ten thousand hours or you know and and that can also include all those different attributes you're talking about and i think there's something really like like not poetic is wrong because maybe that's romanticizing it but just like really powerful about uh about showing that this one specific seeming like um attribute okay let's say race is one thing there's so many different attributes we could apply at the top of like a funneling system and then you start to see that oh wait there's so much diversity within that and then it opens up your eyes to all of the diversity across the board so it's actually really like cool and powerful i think to focus in any category like that. Well, not any category, but you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and again, you know, aside from just that, it's important, you know, for people that are listening, it's important for even people that stumble across it, it ends up becoming this resource for them because now they can hear from these people in their own words 
exactly what it's like for them to do the work that they do. Mm-hmm. I think so, that's, you know, just kind of the, the power of podcasting and the power of the medium. But I think it's amplified even more by the fact that these are people from what could be seen as underrepresented or underrecognized communities talking about how they made it. Like, what's what are the steps that they took? And, you know, no two people have taken the same path. Some have oh, went yeah. straight through, you know, from design school. Some started in one thing and then veered towards something else. Um, and it, it shows you that it's possible at any of these different stages as long as you kind of have that belief that you can make that happen. So there, there's so many uh, crossovers. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you said you said it in their own voices. Like, I'm I'm curious to ask you, and hopefully this won't be it won't feel like a circle back. But you've already said exposure was something that was a, a common through line in your conversations with these people that are so wide ranging in their pursuits and professions as well as locations and ages, Mm -hmm. what are some of the the things that you've noticed that are maybe patterns in, in common viewpoints in their own messages? And what are some of the most important ways that you think that the messages of those that you've interviewed have differed? I think the, the common viewpoints is, is definitely having a strong support system. Um, Whether that's mentors, whether that's family, whether it's, you know, just even a group of, of friends, you know, I think as, as designers, we know this industry can be in and of itself pretty brutal at, at times. I mean, it's something where the work that you're doing is always under constant scrutiny, whether you're, you know, at a company or you're doing it on your own. And so having that, that support to kind of get you through those hard times is really important. I think it's, you know, even more so important again, when you're coming from an underrepresented or, uh, underrecognized group and knowing that it, it feels like the industry might have things stacked against you because your professors don't look like you and the people that you're learning from don't look like you. And you know what I mean? So there's, there's having that support staff is really important to kind of give them that internal fire that they need to keep going. I think that's a general theme throughout the majority of the guests that I have. Um, in terms of the message, now that's interesting because different people, I think, uh, certainly have different messages as depending on where they're at in their career. Um, overall, I think community is important. Trying to find not just, you know, the people that look like you, but the people that kind of share your values and share the kind of work, you know, that you're doing so you can feel like you've got at least some kind of a, a sounding board or something that, you know, those people may be very different from your support system. You know, we often need different levels of support just based on who we are as humans, right? Some people will give you more emotional support. Some people give you more professional support. It's just, it's different. So that, that, um, that through line of community is important, whether it's professors, whether it's coworkers, having those people, I think that are going to say your name when you're not there is important. Mm. Yeah, that I mean, what a what a breakdown. There are so many concepts within what you just said to unpack. Um, I think support systems are there's something that is extremely important. The importance of them can't be understated when you're talking about message because though one voice is extremely important and impactful a chorus of voices saying something similar really does act in a, in a logarithmic way as mm. a amplifier 
Yeah, I mean, like you can have your professional mentors and you can have your mom and you can have your group of friends and they all support you in different ways. But there are all ways that you need as a person to just kind of get through life, you know? Mm-hmm. Damn. Uh, yeah. And so I just can't help but think like, oh, yes, you can. And you can take all of those inputs in and then hopefully form your own sort of perspective and they just give you a different angle or maybe a similar angle from a different voice on the same thing. It's all helpful. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's all helpful. I'm, I'm curious as to what the message behind that sort of semi Shatnerian wandering verbiage from you was. You mean me? No, no, from my my co-host. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't think, I don't think he means no, me. I don't Maurice think he means you. It was not Shatnerian at all in any way. No. I, you know, if I'm being frank, I think that uh, I, there are just so many corollaries and so many overlaps between the things we hear, and I sometimes I just get this like huge energy buildup where I'm like. It's all connected. And I'm just like, God damn it. I'm like, I I know the truth already. I don't need, I'm just like, I'm like, I I just, I feel the truth pounded into me. And I was like, yeah, so uh, I'm okay, guys. Um, Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. um, I got hyped. I got hyped. I got hyped. Yeah, yeah. You, er, early in the conversation, Maurice, you brought up the idea of demystification. uh, And immediately when we're talking about message, uh, it occurred to me that it has a lot to do with with clarity of message. And there's some value to be gained in certain scenarios from not having a message be abundantly clear. But it sounds like, at least in your work, that you seek to have a very transparent, open line of communication with your clients and with the um, presumably the people you work with. Yes. Have you witnessed challenges that spring up on account of this philosophy are there is there a second edge to the sword of transparency that you've experienced or has it been <laughs> basically wholly positive that's a good t-shirt oh, oh no that's that's hey if we i mean if we really want to get real about it that is that's is the truth i mean i'm a black man in america so there are already society has already placed a number of different, you know, just sort of thoughts about who I am intrinsically without even knowing me, talking to me. They can just look at me physically. I'm a pretty big guy. So there's already things that are going to be put upon me that I have no control over, right? Mm -hmm. I can't control how other people are going to think about me. So it's important for me to be transparent, to, you know, at least communicate as much of myself as I can, not in some sort of way to try to change their minds because you know whether that happens that's great that's not my goal my goal is to make sure that i'm being that i'm you know communicating myself properly and that hopefully i am being understood Mm -hmm. and so you know with clients that's that's important because sometimes clients will come to you well to me i should say clients will come to me because they don't think that i'm that good you know for i want to say because i'm black but they won't think that i'm that good or they won't think that the work that i've done has uh garnered any sort of merit because I am black like it's an affirmative action kind of thing so it's important for me to be as you know transparent and open as possible about all these processes so they can say look let's 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 cut the shit let's get down to it this is exactly kind of what it is because I don't want them to feel like they're being uh 
hopefully you know feel like they're being deceived or or anything like that but so uh this is this is fascinating i'm glad that we're hearing this account because transparency coming from people who have the privilege of turning it on and turning it off as a luxury sort of use it i feel like as a as a vogue selling point you know we let the clients get their hands dirty get involved in the process and they're allowed to do it in such a cavalier way because they don't have to fight through any pre-existing barriers or at least far fewer of them it sounds like you are doing it proactively as sort of a, a defense against preconceptions. Is is it safe to is it is it correct to say that? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, I know where I come from. Like I come from like the the uh, <laughs> I come from the country in Alabama, right? I I know where I come from, how I grew up, and I know the experiences that I've had that have shaped who I am today. I mean, there will be people that I tell I'm from Alabama and they've already made up their mind about who I am just like that. Mm. Nothing else. Nothing. I don't, I don't have to say anything else. Oh, you're from Alabama. Okay. That's it. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, even if it's, if we're being real, I mean, I'm here in Atlanta, even if I'll go, you know, to California or go to New York or something and I say, well, I'm from Atlanta. Or I'm from the South. There's a perception there. That like, oh, well, it must be things are pretty slow down there. You know, like there's there's all those kinds of things that you can't control how other people are going to, you know, kind of stereotype you. And they get those stereotypes from a number of different things from the media, from family, sure. from their friends, etc. I try to be as proactive goes. about it. I'm not proud at all to say that in Minnesota, for instance, there's I feel like there's plenty of geographic southern prejudice yeah i yeah I, it's it's the truth i mean yeah no, totally. we there's sort of an egalitarian elitist viewpoint of being a, a far northern state and all of the implications sociopolitically that come with it but it's just another form of in like unacceptable prejudice yeah yeah and i mean i try to be as transparent with i mean with everybody with family friends clients guests on the show what have you i mean there is still a fair amount of code switching that I know that I do. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily talk yeah, yeah. exactly the same to my family as I will to my friends as I will to other people. But the one constant is that I'm at least being transparent enough yeah. to get my message across to them. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, and code switching, that is it's like important. A, that's an important distinction, too. I mean, that is such a natural that is such a natural thing. Um, huh. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, as podcast says, I'm not supposed to go. Huh, I realized that, um, but perhaps <laughs> you know, we're talking about switching. We're talking about code switching. We're talking about uh, all sorts of swip swapping. Vince, maybe it's time to. <laughs> no, no, Vince. Maybe it's time to talk about something that's like not particularly on topic something maybe that i could switch the topic to something like off topic. oh i get i was still i was still like trying to grapple with swip swapping which is a, a sort of a fun fairy taleism that we haven't encountered yet on the show but i hope to encounter again in the future yeah, no doubt i mean 
uh, yeah, so Maurice, we every week like to take a little break from the topic at hand to talk about something. Uh, well, we've already said the phrase, so I can't say it again, but it's not related to the topic at hand. It's the off-topic topic. We were thinking this week, not just a OTT, but a T-O-T-T. Or maybe an O-T-T-T. Or, we want to talk about T, Maurice. Okay. We saw, well, can I first say, Jeez, I was hoping can I first say, on, <laughs> I was, yeah, I was expecting excitement, but you know what, that's all right. Can I also just say, on your website, we're talking about mystification, we're talking about appearance. I've been watching your face scroll up in Technicolor for like maybe two hours now, and I keep, tr- I keep trying to, to close the tab, but I can't. It's, it's keeping me locked on. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say that's not uh, you, a designed experience, t- but okay. <laughs> uh, it says that you're available to consult about tea and that uh, you had a, a podcast called The Year of Tea. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Yeah. In 2015, um, I, if we're still kind of going along the, the, the thread of demystification, sure. I started a project called The Year of Tea to demystify what I think is a lot of confusion about what tea is. I mean, tea is the the second most drank drink drank beverage. We'll say that in the world, behind water, of course. Um, mm. But here in the United States, it feels like it's relegated to only certain aspects. It's either something that's about wellness or like old ladies or like Instagram models peddling flat tea or something like that and, and yeah, not it's really like knowing, weirdly like, exoticized or is, or like britishized yeah it's either britishized or or exoticized partly because you know a lot of tea does grow overseas i mean we do have um some american tea farms here but they're certainly not at the level of of mass production as they are in other countries so i i started the year of tea just to kind of you know demystify a lot of that i a tea collector. I have a lot of tea. It was also a way for me to burn through my collection. <laughs> and get rid practical of, application. That yeah, like, and like get rid of stuff. Cause like I, I'll be the person and I, you know, kind of still am is I'll go into a place or, or something and it's like, Oh, they have tea and I'll buy three or four different teas and just like chuck them in the drawer and just never go back to them. And so it was a way for me to go through my collection and, and see which ones are good, which ones are bad. Just kind of, you know, shed some of the mystery around it. And so the premise is that it's a, a short burst podcast. Each episode is uh, five minutes or less. Wow. And oh, so it's that, like, that is short burst. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of introduce people to a new tea in the time it would take them to brew a fresh cup. And so there's a, qu- a quick steep. Yeah. Like black tea, green tea, white tea, oolong, pu'er, bottled tea. I mean, I tried to go as, as, Far ranging as I think that I could within a year. I mean, there's even still a lot more that I, if I wanted to do, if, if I wanted to do a second year, I could. I don't want to, but <laughs> even in the, even in the one year that I did it, I mean, I think I kind of, I think I had a good range. You know, I had bottle teas. Like I said, bag teas. I even partnered with some companies that sent me tea, which was really great. And, uh, you know, it was, it maybe it project. seems like a, a formality or that I'm just being ignorant, but do you like tea? Yeah, I'm drinking okay. tea right now. I'm, I got, um, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, like I'm, like I'm, I'm not, I'm super basic when it comes to tea generally. Like I'm drinking just 
like tea from Publix. It's like supermarket tea. It's really good tea. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I do like tea. All right. I, I, cause I wasn't sure I was getting sort of a vibe that it was sort of an academic pursuit that you were <laughs> like demystifying tea, but not necessarily even into the idea of tea. You just didn't like that people had the wrong conceptions yeah, about that's tea. Such a yeah, I, I think people didn't like to have conception because I mean, even when you look at the difference between bagged tea and loose tea, that just blows some people's mind. Like yeah. they, like a lot of people think tea just comes in, in bags and yeah. little yellow boxes from the grocery store. And like, that's what tea is. But tea is so much more than that. There's so many different flavor profiles and combinations so, uh, and everything. So there's a lot of, of, of variety behind it. And you can really pair up and match and make whatever kind of teas that you want to have. There's a lot of variety out there. I mean, it's it's a more it's sort of a hilariously small version of a of a conversation we were having earlier. Is that you? There are way too many preconceptions to be made about all sorts of things, and tea certainly suffers from that. Uh, and also, I as as like a fervent coffee drinker have even perpetrated some of these sins against tea, wow. and I I feel I feel bad for that now. For shame, educate. Me, along with maybe some of our listeners who don't know, when you buy loose leaf tea, and this is truly pointing me out as ing- ignorant, do you s- you still put it in some sort of perforated container to let it steep, or do you like make a little tea stew with hot water? I mean, honestly, you can do both. I mean, it's all edible. It's not going to kill you, right? Oh, sure, <laughs> it's, sure. Oh, so it's, it's mostly just convenience to it's, keep it's the tea mostly, Yeah, it's mostly from- convenience. I mean, there are people like I'm one that will do multiple steeps of a tea. So if you have it in a a filter basket, it's just easier to do that. But I mean, I it's you can you can eat it if you if it's soaked that long. I mean, I'm not saying that you would <laughs> drink all the tea and then just scoop out the wet innards and just like take it to the back, but I mean, it's not going to kill you if you just have it floating around in your cup while you're drinking it. It's more and of yeah, a, an inconvenience than anything else. I see. All right. Well, see I I am already learning Grant, are you? A, I feel like I remember you liking tea. Yeah, I, I, with a lot of things that kind of come and go in waves. I feel like I actually got more into tea during the Seth Godin thing, like whatever that was, twenty twelve or 20, 2013. And he he had some cool containers. Uh, this like cool like steeping thing where you like put it in and it separates out, it like filters out. Uh, but but not because of him, but mostly because of my relationship with Sean O'Connor and. Uh, one of the last times I saw him was, the show. was in Atlanta, yeah, and I uh, went to Bear Brooks, another friend of the show's wedding in, in Atlanta with Sean O'Connor. Uh, this is getting so hyperlinked within the <laughs> within The, <laughs> the web grows ever it, bigger. Truly, but uh, for a little while, we had talked about, he had access to some potential, like, uh, like to potentially import some chocolate tea. I believe from Sri Lanka. Oh my! And we were talking about a chocolate tea startup for a while, uh, very seriously. Um, so I got a little bit deeper into tea then, and then I guess I, I mostly ended up drinking tea. I would say on like a Sunday, or like in some on some nights when when I was working late, but I I didn't want to be like pretty like very caffeinated, and there was something really calming about, especially about um, drinking it out of. Like uh, my uncle made these 
giant like clay cups uh, that he 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 gave me and uh, drinking out of there. So it was very much a ritualistic thing for me, and just like mm-hmm. the the warmth and the and the flavor. So I ended up actually really liking this. Like I had this mango, this like mango tea for a while. It's like black mango, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I don't know something about that. That it was very calming, meditative, and like productive. What about, what about you, Vince? It sounds like you're pretty ignorant when it comes to tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a complete idiot. Uh, I feel like fruit tea, fruit teas in general, be they like cold or be they uh, hot, are are kind of like unanimously good tasting. So yeah. there's there is that. I have I I will sum up my tea relationship in a very embarrassing anecdote. At least it's embarrassing for me. You guys can draw your own conclusions, yeah. but um <laughs> so be it, it's really not one of my proudest moments. I was uh I got really into this Netflix. I believe it's not a Netflix original series, but it is on Netflix called Broadchurch, which is sort of like the true detective of England. Um, they would probably take offense to that because I think it predates True Detective. But <laughs> I, uh, it's tea, as you might imagine, features prominently. It's like a Southern English setting for the for the drama, and I started drinking tea. So I don't, you know, maybe it was poserism, or maybe I just was trying to complete the atmosphere. But I would go through like two or three cups a night just binge teeing as i watch this and even more embarrassing than that though it is i do i did feel like totally college freshman style trend picky uppy but i also it started to affect the way i was yeah it started to affect the way i was talking i started having like (laughs) anglicisms in my language and i got called out for it humiliatingly at a happy hour once and uh put it put an end to all that but i broadchurch is such a good show it sort of was a parasite in my mind and made me into a tea drinker for like a month oh man side note have you listened to uh have you ever listened to the how how did this get made podcast I sure have a few times. Big fan. Uh, I I sort of dug deeper in recently. Uh, I was kind of peripheral for a while, but I, I really like it. And I, there's an episode on the Avengers, which sounds like it's like a Marvel thing, but it's just this old like uh, it's this old like British spy type, like super powery kind of thing. And oh yeah, Emma Peel. There we go. Okay, yeah. And I haven't actually seen the movie, but I listened to the episode, and they play a supercut because it, it's like in London. And they play a supercut of like how stupid the movie was with like referring to tea constantly, and they play this supercut. It's like a ninety-minute movie, and it's like a three-minute supercut of all the references <laughs> to tea because they're in Britain, and it's just like great. Uh. <sighs> Does that sort of stuff bug you, Maurice, is like a tea, you know, like a more holistic tea truth spreader? <laughs> a more holistic tea, tea truth spreader. That's a good bio. Put that in your email signature, man. <laughs> I mean, not really. I mean, when I when you think about even, you know, where, like the countries that drink tea and, and how much tea consumption is, I mean, the U.S. is like pretty far down the list. I mean, when in consumption, I mean, mostly... The Middle East and North Africa and, of course, the UK probably consume the most tea. Um, so I don't really, like, get into any sort of weird... I think the thing that probably uh, got me the most that was, like, a pop culture tea moment was watching uh, the, Sp- the Scott Pilgrim movie. 
Oh, great. And like, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's the scene right. where, yeah. like, yeah, where, like, Scott goes home with Ramona and Ramona asks, like, what kind of tea do you want? And he's like, what do you have? Or something like that. And she names, like, 10 different kinds of yeah. teas. And he's like, I didn't even know there was that many teas. Yeah. <laughs> Gratification. Uh, Love it. A, a great, that's a great moment in a great movie. Maurice, thanks for humoring us with our tea talk. Um, tea time. We, tea time. we appreciate it. Yeah, tea, tea time. We would love if you would to dive back into the conversation with a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Okay. The first would be, how can our listeners support you, Maurice Cherry? Wow. How can they support me? Well, financially is always great. I'm not going to lie there. Oh, yeah. Send the this checks. is your definitely hop your on soapbox that, here. I'm, I'm hop not on that Patreon. Get in it. Yeah. I mean, people want to... Uh, so there's with... I mean, with Provision Path, of course, I think the easiest way that people can support the show is to subscribe on iTunes, listen to some shows, leave us a rating and a review, five stars, please. Um, but but really, like, listen to the show, listen to some episodes, because people have some really great stories. They have really, like, great insight. Um, so don't just kind of look at it at face value and think that you can't connect to it, because, you know, you may not see someone that looks like you that's reflected there. I mean... That's a reality that we have to live with all the time. We have to connect with media all the time. That doesn't necessarily reflect us, but definitely take time to listen to the story. Subscribe on iTunes. If you feel so inclined after doing so, we are on Patreon. Uh, we're always looking for more patrons uh, for that. And then lunch is just my studio. It's at yepitslunch.com, Y-E-P-I-T-S-L-U-N-C-H. Um, always looking for clients for design and consulting. Uh, yeah, that's tea consultation that's, mostly. Um, it depends. It depends. <laughs> I mean, consultation. No. I I would love to do more consultation. Actually. Um, oh, sorry. But, I said tea consultation mostly. Oh, tea consultation. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, you know yeah. what? If you want me to consult on tea, I will do that as well. Love it. <laughs> that's you know that's the spirit man and yes we will we'll show notes all of those spots uh and anything else that you think is is worth show noting you'll you'll own the show notes for that um maurice if you would want our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the show today what would you want that to be i would want them to think more about how they can use the talents that they have to really clearly communicate a certain message that they want people to know about. That, again, has been a, a central theme to a lot of my work through Revision Path, through the Year of Tea, through, you know, the Black Web Blog Awards, etc. I had a singular message that I wanted to get out, and I really worked hard to try to craft something that communicated that to people as clearly as possible. So whether you're out there, if you're a designer, a developer, whatever your, you know, creative superpower talent is, Look at what you can do to clearly communicate your message to the world. That's what I would leave behind. Well, well said as um, as insightful and heartfelt as everything else that you've brought to the show today. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and, and to talk about message. And I, I think we really have <laughs> spanned the gamut of different things that message can mean uh all of them I important in their own way oh man absolutely and and thank you so much for 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 fighting for 
<laughs> any level of underrepresentation, you know? I mean, tea is like we can like laugh about tea, but it's just like there's so there's so many important really really important uh messages, I think uh for, and and just like uh humanizing elements to uh to acknowledging the underrepresented or the unheard or the heard whatever it's just like it's all really like it's really important stuff so thank you for for doing the work you do to to demystify or amplify or or anything it's all really thoughtful so thank you for doing that well thank you for having me and thank you both for for doing this show i mean even with this show, the message that you're having about people putting in the work, putting in the 10,000 hours, as as Malcolm Gladwell said, that's an important message as well to communicate. So thank you for having me on the show. I really do appreciate it. Hell yeah. Hey, and now, but now we're going to look like heels because we got to ask you one more thing. So we already thank you. <laughs> then we, we have one we more. Should, we got to ask you one more question. We got to figure this out. We should ask, we should thank them after. Because now we've, yeah, we've, or we shouldn't thank them at all, Grant. You're That's, right. I think where do you, you know them? Where do they come off? We're the hosts. The guests. No, uh, <laughs> in sincerity, we love to sign off our show uh, the same way every week with our customary farewell, which is uh, ship it. If it doesn't ship, it is an art. Uh, so if you could give us, please, a Maurice Cherry ship it to leave our listeners with, cherry, we would be a cherry on top, if you will. Oh wow! <laughs> you, I've, I'm sure you've gotten that one before. Oh, no, Vince, I'm the we first. would be grateful. <laughs> For those out there that are listening, if you are stuck behind something, if you feel like you've reached this uh, creative block in whatever project it is that you're doing, just go ahead and ship it. <laughs>